Battleline Podcast. Hope you're all ready to embark on yet another week, hoping that you're all crushing those goals. You know, regardless of all the madness going on in the world right now, you can't let that stuff get the best of you. You got to stay focused on what you want to accomplish. You know, it's, it's that Arnold Schwarzenegger quote of, you know, while you're horsing around, I'm, I'm paraphrasing here, but while, while you're horsing around, someone is always working harder, training harder, learning something new. You know, be that person who is ready to accomplish your goals, no matter what is going on outside of that. Uh, with that, for about a year now, you've heard me rave about Ned's products, whether it's their new Mellow product, the uh, Magnesium Blend, or their Sleep Blend, the Immunity Blend, the Lip Balm, Body Butter. But really, their flagship supplement, I would say, is CBD. And I know so many of you are listening, have heard all about CBD for the past couple of years as the market has gotten more saturated and heard, heard the many benefits. I mean, for me, it's mainly sleep, but for a lot of other people, it's also uh, helping them with anxiety, helping them with depression, post-traumatic stress. The, the benefits are really endless and you could read up on them. I mean, I know for Chris, it's helped him a lot in his own life in the past year. So, uh, With the market being more saturated, though, a lot of people are thinking, like, where do I go for the best CBD? You hear about this stuff all the time, and you don't know who to trust. Well, that really is where Ned comes in. They produce the highest quality full-spectrum CBD. It's extracted from organically grown hemp plants, all sourced from an independent farm in Peonia, Colorado. Ned is a wellness brand offering science-backed and nature-based solutions that offer an alternative to prescription and over-the-counter drugs. Zero isolates, zero synthetic ingredients. So if you haven't tried CBD yet, I don't know what you're waiting for, but so many in our audience have become believers now and are subscribed to Ned. And we hope you subscribe. If you want to check out Ned and try their CBD for yourself, we have a special offer for the Battleline audience. Go to helloned.com slash battleline or enter Battleline at checkout for 15% off your first one-time order or 20% off if you want to get that first subscription order plus free shipping. That's H-E-L-L-O-N-E-D dot com slash Battleline to get 15% off your first one-time order or 20% off your first subscription order plus free shipping. Thank you, Ned. Check them out. Can't speak more highly of those guys. They've supported us just about since day one. So if you support us and you want to check out a great supplement that's going to optimize your life, go there now. And you know who else has been with us since day one? Just about, maybe not day one of the actual podcast, but really within those first few episodes. You probably know who I'm talking about if you've been with us since the early days. None other than Fort Scott Munitions, who many of you have been shooting with and writing me uh, that you love it and you feel the difference when you're shooting. They are a manufacturer of multi-federal patented solid copper and brass CNC spun ammunition. It's designed to tumble upon impact in soft tissue, leaving devastating wound channels for faster bleed out and quicker 
incapacitation. This ammunition was originally developed to innovate and improve on the standard of military-grade ammunition design, and it was found that not only did the TUI ammunition outperform competitors in the self-defense industry, but get this, it quickly became apparent that it would be a top contender for hunters alike. With the ammunition being CNC-spun, the tolerances are some of the tightest on the market, ensuring that you receive the same results with every pull of that trigger. Fort Scott Munitions is available throughout privately owned businesses in all 50 states, as well as direct online through their website, and that's fortscottmunitions.com, F-O-R-T-S-C-O-T-T-M-U-N-I-T-I-O-N-S. Go there now and use the exclusive promo code BATTLELINE for 15% off your order, only available to our listeners, fortscottmunitions.com, offer code BATTLELINE for 15% off. Fort Scott Munitions is a proud supporter of Chris Peranto, Battleline Tactical, and the Battleline Podcast. Before we get over to Rod Rodriguez, I'll fill you in on some things. Let's get started. From Omaha, Nebraska to New York City, from planet Earth to extraterrestrial life in space, a podcast with no equal, engaged in unconventional warfare through your speakers and headphones. This is a show about embracing the suck, conquering your demons, and finding God in the face of adversity. Chris Tonto Peranto. Switch is on. Motherfucker, I'm going to shoot you in the face. Ian Scotto. You know, Ian and I have been dating for a long time. You are now tuned into the Battle Line Podcast. The switch is on. Battleline Podcast, just myself here this episode, Ian Scotto, because if you've been keeping up with Battleline Tactical on Instagram, then you probably know Chris is in Louisiana right now with the Red River Range teaching a defensive pistol course. Some of you listening uh, might have just wrapped up and are hearing this now, and I'm sure it was a blast. I know a lot of law enforcement there, and uh, if you were there, hopefully you learned something. But he's got, a, he's got a bunch more coming up. So, I mean, if you want to be a part of any of them, uh, I can tell you right now, we got Paisley, Florida coming up next month, Lake Geneva, Wisconsin in May, Crete, Illinois in June, and Nunley, Tennessee in July. And you can learn more about any of those at tontosgearlocker.com under the Battleline Tactical tab and sign up before they sell out. If you're in the area of any of those, I would say get on it right now. Chris does an amazing job as does all the guys he works with. Um, Benny Glossop, who you've heard on the show, Jeremy Mitchell, and Ben Morgan, who will be on the show this coming month. So, uh, yeah, go there now, tontosgearlocker.com, and sign up for a course. Uh, I hope you're all enjoying this MLK Day. And uh, some of you might have off from work, some of you might not. But, man, always good to reflect back on the words of MLK 
it's funny because I feel like we all know him from the, or not all of us, but you know, the country as a whole just knows him from one speech, which is the, I have a dream speech. And there was so much more to the guy than just one speech. And I mean, he stood for so many different things. If you read about his stance on Israel and his stance on a lot of different things, some, some things that I personally agree with some that I don't, but definitely just a powerful voice in American history that needs to be revered and, and always revered. So I uh, hope you're enjoying the day. We have uh, Rod Rodriguez coming on, which I'm excited for, and we're going to get right to uh, Army Reserve warrant officer and also a podcaster in his own right. And, uh, you know, before we do, though, I wanted to sort of correct one thing. After I posted the last episode, Gary Brugman gave me a call, and <laughs> I uh, I missed the call first. I was like, oh, God, what did I do wrong? But Gary was actually like, Loved the episode, man, which was cool because it made me feel like we covered things from a balanced perspective. I know that, you know, Gary's a big Trump guy, especially because he got pardoned. So, you know, I have my own bias on things, as does Chris, and we never hide those. But at the same time, I try to give as fair of an analysis of what's going on. And he, he seemed to feel that we did, which makes me think that we indeed did. But kind of a minor correction, but I wanted to make sure we do it. And it's not like he demanded I do this, but I just figured I would. Um, when I said that Gary was at the actual rally last week, and I, I, you know, I said he did not go inside the Capitol, obviously. Um, he just wanted to say that, I mean, coincidental, coincidentally, that's the same day he was invited to go to the White House. So he was like, I wouldn't have been there otherwise, but I was invited to go. I walked around and that was about it. So, you know, it's not like he traveled out to D.C. to go to this protest because he did not. But he did check it out. And the, and the point I was making was that, where Gary was outside of the Capitol and, you know, just in D.C. in general, it was very peaceful. And it was really a few dozen people who started the chaos that erupted that we covered on last week's show. But God bless that guy, man. I'm so happy to see Gary free and just in good spirits. I mean, he's been free, but you know what I mean? Not having that pardon on on his back and in the back of his mind every single day. And, and you know, if you listen to last week's episode, which many of you did, it did very good numbers, um, you kind of heard that sense of relief that he had. So uh, with that, we're going to get right over to Rod Rodriguez. Check it out. Special guest this episode is Rod Rodriguez, Army Reserve Warrant Officer and podcast host and producer over at ConnectingVets.com, which is a part of Entercom. They just brought on our friend Jack Murphy, although Jack has been writing for Connecting Vets for, I think, over a year now, definitely over a year now, actually. But now you and him are doing the Military Matters podcast. There's something specifically that you posted that made me say, I want to get this guy on the show and we'll get into it. But before we even get into all of that, I think people would love to hear your background as an Army Reserve Warrant Officer, because so many of the guys we have on are Jack's background or Chris's background of Army Ranger and there's definitely people listening who might want to go the uh, the route that you did and, and hear about that experience. Well, first of all, uh, Ian, thanks for having me on. Uh, it's it's great oh, to sure. be here. Uh, and and uh, thanks for tracking me down. As a warrant officer, we pride ourselves on, of course, disappearing. Uh, my desk is usually ha- it usually has a warm cup of coffee and my uh, car keys because I just want to give the illusion that I'm still there. But typically, I'm I'm not. Uh, I am a warrant officer. I'm a U.S. Army uh, uh, Army Reserve warrant officer, but uh, I've got over 10 years active duty side. So before I made the jump over to the dark side of the warrant corps, uh, I was a staff sergeant, United States Army active duty, you know, been overseas. But I'm an intel guy. I'm a human guy. 
Uh, and, and to your point, uh, you know, you have a lot of great people on your show. Super, I mean, America's elite super soldiers. Uh, I am a Intel dork. Uh, I, I kind of point at the maps and, and, you know, uh, from the human side, I get to talk to a lot of folks, which actually kind of got me into podcasting. But, the, you know, it, it's, it's, uh, it's a real privilege to be here and, and be in such great company. Thank you, man. Thank you. Um, so how, how did you get into it? How did your, your military career start? Is, is it something that you dreamed of as a kid or, you know, what led you down? I was path? 18 years old. I got a girl pregnant and I had no money. Wow. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> this is the, this is the story of so many enlisted. That's how, you know, um, I'm a warrant officer because I have my roots deeply, uh, you know, rooted in the world of, of the enlisted folk. Uh, I, I joined the army back in 2000. I was, um, I was 18. Uh, I got my high school sweetheart pregnant and I had no money. Didn't know how I was going to pay for this baby. Didn't know what I was going to do with my life. And, uh, I talked to an army recruiter and he was like, how would you like $10,000? Join the, uh, uh, field artillery and blow stuff up. I was like, you had me at (laughs) $10,000. (laughs) <laughs> which when you're 18, you're like, oh, okay, exactly. I, I thought I was rich. Um, and you know, I, I came from an extremely modest, uh, house. Uh, we were middle-class, middle-class. So I'll be honest with you. When I went to basic training and, uh, the first Friday showed up and Friday was surf and turf night. I was like, wait a minute. We're eating lobster. Are you kidding me? Lobster. I wrote to, I was that guy that wrote to mama, like mama, you're not going to believe it. We made it. I made it. I ate lobster (laughs) and steak at the same time. The army's the best. I was like, I, in fact, I would have to say the first five years. I was like, why isn't everybody in the army? Like, this is, this is great. You get paid. Well, they feed you. Um, it's not hard. And you're like the first person I hear to say that, like the the usual thing you hear is the pay is shit. Oh, dude, when you're 18, are you kidding me? Like I, and then here's the crazy part, right? You see staff sergeants, sergeant first classes rolling around like dualies. They own BMWs. They got nice cars. I'm like, dude, this, I thought I had won the lottery. I'm looking around like, this is the world's best kept secret. I don't understand why anybody goes to college. I don't understand why anybody works at a factory. Join the army. This is great. Um, of course, you kind of wisen up as you go through the years. It does get tougher. It does get more uh, political. And you start learning some of the the ugly sides to the army, the, the ugly side of the Department of Defense, really. Um, but I, I'll tell you, I had two heroes coming up, a staff sergeant and a warrant officer. Uh, I, I would look up to these staffs. To me, I thought the staff sergeant knew everything. That's that E6 was a walking uh, encyclopedia of military knowledge. And then the warrant officer was cool. Like that guy was always cool. Like he didn't talk down to me like the regular officers, but he also didn't chew my ass out like the senior enlisted. Um, he seemed always like this safe space. Like you could talk to chief about anything and he wouldn't treat you like crap in fact he would encourage you he would push you in the right direction they always knew the answers to really weird obscure stuff so uh i always wanted to be a staff sergeant never wanted to be an e7 didn't want to be a platoon sergeant didn't want to take i didn't want to not necessarily take care of soldiers but i didn't want to take care of 
big problems. Like I, I loved my MOS. I just wanted to concentrate on my job and work with the people inside of my job. I didn't want to like worry about beans, uh, bullets, uh, you know, beds and, you know, private snuffies, you know, uh, doing this thing and private snuffy needs that. Like, oh God, I don't want to deal with that. I just want to be an E6 and a warrant. And I literally went the day that I'm 86, I was like, yeah. Uh, shortly, you know, two or two years after, they're like, hey, E7 list, that's going to come up soon. I was like, Warrant Officer Packet. <laughs> I actually made E7 <laughs> at Warrant Officer uh, Candidate School. And I was like, right on time, man. Right on time. That's excellent. So where did the whole experience go from there of, you know, I mean, because it's a long career that you've had. Um, yeah, it, it, it's been an interesting career. Um, human intelligence, we are uh, the, 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 we are the real different intelligence int out of all of them. Um, I tell folks all the time that we are the only one where our playbook has been published. So because of the Abu Ghraib scandal in 2003, I believe, uh, we the, the human intelligence world really got exposed. Uh, it 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 became it, it got pushed into the limelight. Uh, everybody tore it apart. Congress now became aware of interrogations and all this other stuff. And, well, publicly, and our FM FM two dash twenty two point three became public knowledge. It became published. Uh, show me another intelligence uh, branch where. It's publicly exposed. You will not find signals intelligence exposed. You won't find Emmett, uh really exposed, like the the deep Emmett. Um, We're the only ones. And that means we also carry a lot of responsibility in what we do. Everything we do is always under the microscope, which is why uh, warrant officers are, are so critical to the human uh, to the human branch, simply because we are the we are that that nexus point between the commander and uh, operations. So when that commander looks at me and says, can we do this? I have to know whether or not that meets the letter of the law that fits our mission. Because if I don't, we're all going down. And I will tell you, uh, Jag, it was funny. Back in the early days after uh, Abu Ghraib, I literally had a Jag officer tell us right before deployment, you know, I've never convicted a 35 Mike. First time for everything. I was like, Thanks. <laughs> like, this guy is gunning for us, man. Um, but, you know, human, you, you talk to people. That's all your, that's 99% of your job is you're talking to people. The other 1% is paperwork. Um, I love talking to people. I love learning. I love hearing people's stories. That's the thing that everybody thinks interrogations are about, you know, batteries and, you know, torture, which is 100% not true. Um, I've taught schoolhouse. I've been out there. I've done the job. And it is talking. It is about building relationships with people that you would never think you could build a relationship with. And that's podcasting. A podcast sure, sure. is building a relationship with your audience, building a relationship, telling a story. Um, I don't think it's necessarily about self-promotion, even though you could look around and a lot of self-promoters out there. Everybody wants to push their agendas, but whatever. Yeah, I mean, you know, coming from the radio background, I always talk about it's, you know, radio and, and all media is based on selling people to advertisers. That's how it is. I mean, uh, now in the days of like Patreon and stuff, you actually can make an income just doing it based off your audience wanting to support you and get giving them extra content. But generally, it's just 
you're selling people to advertisers. That's 100% right. And a podcast, <clears throat> a podcast is inherently a different animal than radio. Yes, a podcast typically, well, not even typically, I can't even say that. Uh, not all podcasts have sponsors. A lot of podcasts are like Gorilla Radio. It's a guy with a microphone in his house and he has something he wants to talk about. He's passionate about it. He might gain a small number of followers, but it's about your story. It's about telling people about what you think and, and sharing ideas. So I had this idea of, uh, I, I loved, I, I like it. Most people like most guys, uh, veterans. I was listening to Joe Rogan. Uh, Oh yeah. Joe, Joe Rogan is great at what he does. I mean, it's funny because Chris is like, you know, when Chris is on here, not the biggest fan, whatever, but I, I just think it's undeniable that he's a very good interviewer. He has such a wide range of people on, um, and I know, especially like in this day and age, people give him shit for some of the people that he's had on that are slanted one way or the other. But I, I mean, I just think I, I've learned a lot actually from left wing guests he's had on and right wing guests he's had on. There's definitely been certain points that have that have changed my thinking on certain issues. So this is undeniably great at what he does. But, yeah, that's the introduction to a yeah. lot of people for podcasts. And, uh, you know, I'm listening to Joe Rogan. What I really liked about Joe was he was true to himself. He still is. He interviews the people he wants to talk to. He doesn't care about your political beliefs. He doesn't care what your what your what your shtick is, really. He will talk to you if he wants to. That's just that's that's his thing. I wanted to be my own man. I wanted to build my own business. I wanted to be, have be my own boss. Uh, I didn't know how to do it, though, because, you know, I, I'm, at the time I just gotten out of the army. And you know what? Oh, yeah, can I rewind sure. a little bit because I, I want to ask you this before we go too far off track from you speaking about it because you kept bringing up Abu Ghraib. Did you know anyone personally with involvement in that, or was there? You know, I'm just saying because you you were in there at that time. So I, the time of Abu Ghraib, actually, I was an artilleryman, and I had heard about Abu Ghraib through the news. So, like other MOSs, like other soldiers that were deployed to Iraq at the time. We only heard about it and our feelings about that situation were from a space that wasn't in that world. We had our own personal okay. opinions and it wasn't until I reclassed in 2004. So that was the first thing I did. I came back from, from Iraq and I was like, oh man, I'm not doing that again. <laughs> not the, not the field artillery way. I saw these guys with beards and civilian clothes running around outside the wire. I was like, I thought they were SF. They were human. So I was like, man, that's cool. I want to do that. And I think I talk all right. I could do this. So I decided to go the human route uh, 2004. In my journey through the human world, I have met a, a, a handful of folks who were at Abu Ghraib. Um, and oh, wow. they weren't necessarily human. In fact, I can tell you, I only know one human that was uh, in and around the Abu Ghraib area. I don't know how involved he was, but I could tell you humans, human tours were not. And by the way, for the, for the audience that isn't like, well, versus really human intelligence. I know everything is, uh, you know, everything is That's an right. acronym in the That's military right. or, or I apologize. <laughs> I probably said human intelligence earlier, but yeah, <laughs> no, it's okay. But yeah. I mean, uh, uh, human really wasn't involved in the Abu Ghraib scandal. It was, uh, MPs. It was unfortunately Navy SEALs. It was a lot of other folks, uh, army human really 
wasn't that involved in those operations. And that's honestly why Abu Ghraib went down the way it did, because the first thing they teach you at human school, big slide, number one slide, number one rule, like it's the number one rule. It's a fight club rule. Uh, don't violate Geneva conventions. That's that's it. You can literally have a stellar career in human. Just don't violate the law of of land warfare. And that that actually has changed the, the name of it. But the principles and ideals haven't changed. Uh, just don't 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 torture people. It was that simple. Uh, but there were a lot of other extenuating circumstances in that. And I have met a couple of folks that were involved. In fact, I, I met uh, I, I interviewed uh, one of the attorneys that was involved in the defense of one of the accused uh, uh, MPs, one of the, I think there were National Guard, one of the National Guard members uh, that was being accused of of that whole situation. And in fact, I tell people all the time, if you want to read a really good book on the situation, uh, go read uh, a book by Philip Zimbardo. He is the guy who was the, the uh, psychologist behind the Stanford prison experiment. And he wrote in a okay. fascinating, amazing book called The Lucifer Effect. Why good people do bad things. It is mandatory reading for all of my humanters. I, I, it, it is a, a an amazing piece of work, and especially I think this book has gained new relevance today in the political climate that we all live in. Why do good people do bad things? And we saw the capital get rushed. We saw, uh, yeah. you know, we saw people who are deeply, deeply root. They find themselves deeply in this conspiracy theory, whether it's QAnon or a version of QAnon or whatever it is. Uh, they believe what they believe so deeply that they have, they, they are now demonstrating a level of behavior that is so alien and so different than what everybody knows them to be. We saw school teachers, uh, oh, yeah. uh, veterans. We saw uh, a police, police officer, officers fighting. Police officers. There was a psych- there was a social worker who ran up in government property, was yelling at authority, was you know uh, being violent, and everybody that knows these people are like, "What, John, Karen? Th- that's a mother. Why would she do that? What? She's a social worker. Why would she be out there?" Which she- it's weird to me because I don't know if you have the same thing. I have friends. There's people who, who are friends or people I haven't even talked to in a few years who are so deep in that conspiracy world that if I found out they were at the Capitol, I would go, oh, yeah, not surprised There's at all. Definitely. You know, it's actually the total opposite. But there are a lot of people that I think that were there and we saw them yelling and throwing things at police officers. And I know for a fact there are people that were sitting at home going, what? Her? him no way and it's it's a book about why that happens what what occurs to make somebody do crazy things terrible things um and and i I am not comparing QAnon to the nazis at all but i will say that the book does make some uh it does use nazis as kind of the paradigm for discussing why good people do bad things because we think of a nazi we all think concentration camps we think 
evil human beings. But a lot of Nazis weren't involved in concentration camps. A lot of Nazis were soldiers, German soldiers. They were men, women. They were fathers. They were children. They were somebody's kid. They were school teachers. They were, they were these other people who were put in a situation where they kind of went along with it. And it wasn't until it was too late that they realized that they were complicit and something terrible. Uh, so many people after the war hid, not because they were like escaping the law necessarily, but they were ashamed of what they had done. They went down this rabbit hole of like, oh my God, it's not till you come out the other end that you're like, what have I done? What did I ascribe to? Not only that, there's also the threat. You know, a lot of the, some of the, not, I'm not going to say all, some were simply evil bastards. There is no denying that. There is a part of the human psyche that's like, I can hurt other people. Sweet. I'm going to go do that. Um, but there were a lot of folks that were forced into those situations that we can look back hindsight being 2020, like you could have said, no, I'm not going to do that. But at the same time, when everybody around you has a gun and everybody's like, you know, Hey Rod, you're in on this, right? You're not going to be, you're not going to go and be an individual about this. That would be a real shame because something could happen to you. You're like, Oh no, no, I'm good. No, you're right. Uh, let's get, let's go do this. You suspend your ethics, you suspend your morals. Yeah. And I think that what we saw at the Capitol was a lot of people who were suspending their own ethics and morals. And they went along with the crowd. Some of them are diehard believers, some more scumbags, but some of them weren't. And it's all yeah. going to come and, out and I watch. should say, to be as fair about this subject as I can, because we spoke about it last episode, most of the people who were at that protest which was thousands of yeah. people, were not the people trying to get into the Capitol. It was really a small fraction of that crowd who tried to get into the Capitol. But Capitol. at the same time, I'm also disappointed um, that enough, that not enough people stopped it. Stopped. Everybody had a, everybody yeah, no, had a choice to say, that's enough. With those police officers who were being assaulted with uh, fire extinguishers, just a story came out today where one of these officers was talking about, you know, I'm getting tased in the back of my neck, and I heard somebody say, kill him with shoot him with his own gun like i saw that yeah. okay yeah there's a point where we human as a human being have to say that's not how we do business that is not how we treat other human beings we have to stop we have to interject we have a responsibility a moral responsibility to protect other human life especially yeah. If it's a life you profess to hold dear like that of a police officer, um, that dude's doing his job. Yeah, and I was going to say when you talk about how people get thrown into these situations, I've read a lot over the years about um, people who were at the uh, David Koresh compound in Waco, and they were like normal, very normal people. They were like musicians this guy, David Thibodeau, wrote a book. He was just, he, I think he met, uh, if I remember correctly, David Koresh at a guitar center, and he just wanted to join his band. And next thing he knows, he's a part of this cult. Um, you know, or uh, Tim McVeigh. Tim McVeigh was a veteran, served honorably. Uh, and it was really that he went down a rabbit hole in the times after that. But, you know, actually, I'm wondering, and I do want to get back to what we were talking about before, but I don't even remember off the top of my head, what happened to those people at Abu Ghraib, the ones who were actually seen in the pictures? Are they still in jail? What would happen to all of them? 
<sighs> typical military punishment. Uh, the lower, the lower you were on the totem pole, that is your, your junior enlisted, they got hit with the harshest punishments. The higher ups got letters of reprimand, um, and, and other things of, along those lines. Um, Abu Ghraib was a, it was a failure in justice. I thought I wasn't there. I don't know all the details, but from what I gathered and from what I understand, um, it was kind of a failure in how we treat and how we punish folks in uniform. It was the tip of it. Like I said, it was typical, you know, the higher up you were, the, you know, oh, you weren't going to make your star, but you still got to retire. Um, you still got to do all your stuff. Uh, but at the same time, a lot of those folks that were directly responsible were lower enlisted. They were also some senior guys. Um, I don't hold anybody. I, I don't want to say I don't hold them. I, I think that there is a certain level of, there was too much happening. That's the other part to this is it, nothing is ever clear. Nothing is ever black and white. Um, I o- often tell people the truth is often mundane and boring, and this is no different. Um, folks that were an authority were also given a vast amount of responsibility. I mean, can you imagine if somebody told you you were now responsible for every action that is happening in your block? in your city block, everything that's happening in everyone's house is your responsibility. You, yes, it is a military structure. Yes, there are ways to do that, but I can tell you that there are things that happen inside of units that commanders will never know about. Um, and, and the higher up you go, a brigade, a division, think about that, a division, a division of human beings, each of them with their own distinct missions. Uh, you're not going to be able to know everything. And yes, the buck stops with you, but at the same time, uh, there are people who are directly responsible. And we can go back to Abu Ghraib, but we can do what we can tie that all the way to Fort uh, Fort Hood. Look at Fort Hood, Vanessa Guillen. Um, you know, we covered her story on military matters. In fact, we talked with her attorneys, Natalie Quam, and we actually the attorneys were giving us details of her murder that had not been released to the public that most people didn't understand her sister, Vanessa's sister drove to Fort hood and was greeted by a bunch of these, these guys, one of them being Vanessa's killer. Uh, where was the chain of command? Why wouldn't, why wasn't there a, her platoon leader, the commander, where were these people? There's a lot of questions in there. I can't answer all of them. I don't know all of the details, but I will tell you that it was a complete breakdown of protocol. It was a breakdown of discipline. It was a breakdown of the army structure. And I've been highly critical of it. And what it, what it, to me, it boils down to a misallocation of resources, a mismanagement, and the army doing business as They've always thought it should be done. You know, we, we got ourselves a, a with 30, three, I don't know how much more millions of dollars they've spent on a brand new World War II-esque uniform. And, uh, and yet Fort Hood CID, grossly underfunded. They didn't have enough people to do uh, all of the, uh, they didn't have enough sexual assault case officers. They didn't have enough law enforcement. They didn't have all of the 
technology that we would associate with the, with, you know, the military central intel, uh, criminal intelligence division, they had a small laboratory that they could do all of their testing. And there was, it was so small and so limited that you couldn't test everything. So of course it was breaches of justice. Of course the system fell apart because we were spending money on uniforms instead of spending money on that. And I will tell you anybody that says, well, they didn't know BS. I call bullshit on that big time because you know, as well as I do that officers in command, they live, eat and sleep PowerPoint and everything, every deficiency, every crime, every sexual assault. There was a PowerPoint somewhere that was on somebody's desk. It was presented at some point, And they said, we are undermanned, underfunded, and under-equipped. And somebody went, hmm, well, that's going to be the next guy's problem. Next slide. That's just how it goes. And that, and that was exposed, and that was only exposed because of an independent review committee. That's it. We would not know any of this. The army tried to silence uh, the whole issue. They tried to push it to the side. The only reason this gained traction was because the the Guillen family was so vocal and an independent review committee. And I I will tell you, that's disappointing. That's the disappointing part to that. And we can go back to Abu Ghraib. We'll touch on that just because of that. Um, (laughs) It was not an independent committee. But it was an investigation to what happened, and it was that that investigative body that exposed what really happened at Abu G. So, it, 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 the 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 takeaway here is nothing is ever as it seems, and independent review is important. Um, not just folks that dress like you, talk like you. And work for the same people as you investigating themselves. Uh, That's a poor practice. And I think the Army has learned a lot about the value that is gained from an independent review. Yeah. So I want to go back to what we were talking because we kind of got sidetracked there because when you brought up Abu Ghraib, I just figured I'd see – you know, if you had knowledge on that, that I wouldn't have, and the audience wouldn't have, and it's interesting. And you'll to hear have about part stuff, but you have to pardon me. To- I carry my soapbox everywhere I go. <laughs> no, it's cool, man. But I want to get back to what we were saying um, prior to that, and, and I'm going to try to keep everything on track. Um, you were saying how you got into podcasting, you know, listening to Joe Rogan, and that's how you kind of made this uh, this advancement from your military career into podcasting, and. You know, continue. It was all about business. Wow. It was all about trying to be my own man. I, I didn't want to. I'll tell you, I, I learned something from the army was I don't like to really. Uh, I don't like taking orders. Um, I will. I can. I've executed orders. Um, but I like to be the one giving the orders or at least working for my own self. Uh Anybody that's ever gone into business for themselves knows that it's challenging. And especially when you don't know what the hell you're doing. The first couple of years of owning your own business is like a whack-a-mole problems. You're not sure which mole is the worst, which is the priority, but you're just whacking them as they come along. I didn't know how to do this. So I I saw these podcasts. I was like, you know what I need to do? I need to just start my own show about how veterans build businesses 
and that will be the way I learn. I'll, and I had no intention of really publishing this stuff. I was like, it'll be kind of cool, like my own show, and I'll reflect on what I learned. And I started talking to all these veteran business owners, and I started learning about, you know, startup. I started learning about startup capital. I started learning about the problems, the mistakes they made. And that's why we called it the after action review. It was, what did you write? What did you do right? What did you do wrong? And what could you do better next time? Um, it's funny because I just recently uh, downloaded all my episodes and we're transcribing them because we're going to try and make a book out of this. And oh, wow. Okay. I went back to episode one and I started looking at all the companies I've talked to and so many of them have gone under. And it's not necessarily a bad thing. It's just an interesting thing uh, that small businesses, they they change. They die, but they often come back as something else. So a lot of my veteran business owners, their businesses initially did fail, but they, they've changed. They're, they have, a lot of them have uh, pivoted and redirected. And I had the uh, an amazing privilege of meeting uh, one of my senior uh, mentors, Seda Goff. Uh, she is the um, she now uh, runs the Veteran Entrepreneurship Investment Program (VEP) through the PenFed Foundation. Uh, she's a business whisperer. There is no other way to put it. She will give you, if you ask for it, she will give you an unbiased and completely raw opinion, an educated opinion. She's been doing this for a long time. Uh, an assessment of your business and your business idea. And she was the one that really just changed my life. Um, meeting her was, I had an idea about how I wanted to do things and I'll never forget. She said, write your idea up on this whiteboard. And I wrote it up on the whiteboard and she's like, what do you want to top 10 things you want to do? And I wrote them on the whiteboard. And I'm like, and this is how we're going to do this. And this is how we're going to make money. And this is it. And she goes up there with an eraser and she erases everything except for two or three things. And she goes, Rod, this is what you really want to do. And when she did that, it clicked. And I said, oh my God, you're right. That's, that's it. She goes, so many people waste time trying to do everything instead of doing what they really want to do. And she's like, this is it. And from there, it's just been, uh, taking chances. You know, I left a six figure contract, military contract job. Um, and I have a, and mind you, I'm not one of those people like guys go drop, finish, fire yourself. Uh, you know, quit your job, just follow your dreams. It's not easy to do that when you got a family. Uh, I have a, for sure. And you're in that position. Cause I would say I, I sort of did go that route. But I also don't have a family, you know, I, well, I have my, you know, my mother and father, but I don't have my own family. Um, so, uh, you know, I, it's a less of a risk for me. It's a risk for everybody, though, because if you're at a job where you have health care and all that great stuff um, and you're going to give that up oh. for sure. Yeah, it's, it, 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 it is irresponsible to tell everybody that I actually even heard. Um, I'm such a Tim Dillon fan. He's, he's hilarious, but he also has a lot of wisdom. Um, and he was saying like this whole idea that everybody needs to start a business is ridiculous. He's, he's like, he, you know, not everybody needs to be a business owner or some people just doesn't work. And there's this whole mentality now of because of guys like Gary Vee, it's like 
everybody has a business inside of them. And it's, it's not I, for I, I do believe everybody has a business inside of them. I do believe. Okay. That. I don't believe everybody should act on it. I think everybody is an artist in some way, shape, or form. But it doesn't mean that you need to make a living out of your art. I think that there is a lot to be said about the value of working for other people, the experience you gain, the discipline you did develop, especially if you find a company that really matches your personal and uh, morals and ideas, then you enjoy going to work. I found that for myself, making that leap was the most terrifying thing I'd ever done. I got a job. I, I found a gig that hired me as my company and they reimbursed me my, 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 you know, what they were paying me was not bad, but it certainly wasn't what I was making over here. So I had to do a very strategic jump. This was not like, you know, one day I got up and quit. I had to make some, some goals for myself. I said, I have to be able to make 75% of what I'm making right now in order to provide for my wife and our kids and our home. We have to make some sacrifices, but this is what I have to do in order to get out of my current job. I met those goals and I submitted my two weeks notice. And I remember distinctly that moment when I stepped into my car in the parking lot of my contract job for the last time. And I was terrified. I couldn't help. Am I doing the right thing? What if I lose? What, what if this contract leave? What, 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 what if my current job as an audio producer, what if I suck at it? What if this doesn't work? Will I lose my home? Will I lose my wife? Will I lose my kid? What, what's going to happen here? Um, it's anxiety. It is horrifying. It is terrifying. And then COVID hit. Okay. So we were. Oh, so this is relatively we, recent. I then. quit my job two years ago. So the first year was great, man. I was like, I was, I got business. I'm learning. And I'm like, oh my God, I got clients. And this is wonderful. I'm thinking, man, I did the right thing. I'm, every, we're riding high, man. Everything's good. COVID hits. And I was like, oh, I lost 75% of my business the first week. And doing what exactly? Uh, so we were uh, we were uh, producing podcasts. So we were creating shows. We were creating uh, social media content for companies. We're creating. See, this is kind of surprising me though because I feel like with what I've done, I've seen podcasting just flourish because people are home, ah, they have time to listen, it and flourished after. So th there was this weird thing that happened during COVID. COVID hits. The country goes on lockdown. Businesses did not know how to cope with this. So businesses were really looking at, um, you know, our doors open or we provide services. We take that revenue and we use that to invest in podcasting and videos and, uh, and you know, all this advertising. Well, they were told you got to lock your doors. No more revenue. So you know, you know why I haven't felt the same effects. Maybe is you know the main sponsor of our podcast that sponsors every show is Fort Scott Munitions. Very and different. The ammo industry is doing very awesome. different industry. So <laughs> I'm dealing with yeah, a lot true. of companies 
that were shutting their doors and they weren't even sure about their own survival, which means why are you going to sponsor? Why you don't need a podcast at this point. You need to save every penny because you don't know when you're going to open your doors. So I'm losing money now. Now I've got people calling me like, Hey man, we can't do this. We can't, we can't, we're, we're losing our business. And I have a choice like, okay, I can activate the clause in our contract that says you have to pay me up front or you owe me this much money. So these are a lot of businesses starting their own. They were podcast. businesses that had their it's own, different. that were starting their podcast or mid podcast or sure. Um, that is a different and, story and, for and, sure. And for a sure. lot of them were not huge businesses. You know, they were trusting, they were taking a chance on some podcasting and they were really interested. They would love the, they, they, you weren't producing like Jeff Bezos personal no, podcast. Exactly. <laughs> Which that man doesn't need a podcast. Yeah. Um, <laughs> what, what's, what's amazing to me was I lose all this money. I lose, and I didn't activate, not one person got their accounts activated. Not one contract that I initiate the, you're not going to pay me clause. I said, listen, we're all in the same boat. When you want to come back, let's pick it up again. Pause. I'm just going to hit the pause button on everything. Don't pay. That's fine. And now I'm freaking out because I'm looking at my wife like, okay, so uh, this week, it's we start at Monday. It's Friday. We have no money. Uh, no money is coming in for the next month. And, you know, pucker factor. We got to figure this out. We shifted. We just pivoted. We it, literally in a week, we said, okay, let's refocus what we're doing. Let's look at more video. Let's approach people. And how do we create opportunity? How do we turn this around? And we started talking to people about Zoom. Hey, how can we help you open your doors? How can we help you create new content? How can we help you create? Uh, how can we expand your business into uh, a couple of different worlds that you didn't even know existed? And that's where Clear Camo, my business, really started taking off was like, okay, we pivoted. It was a scary pivot. Um, it was a lot of cooperation, a lot of uh, teaming up with other people to to really like find our weaknesses. They supplied the strengths and then finding their weaknesses and it turns out we supplied their strength. Uh, it was a lot about different businesses coming together and rebuilding ourselves. And this last year of COVID really taught the world, I think, or uh, taught businesses that you have to approach, you you can't just depend on one delivery method for your product or service. You got to find a couple of different ways to do this because COVID is a, the dress rehearsal for something worse. There is always going to be something worse coming down the pipeline. So what do you do to plan for that? Well, you have to have a good social media strategy in place. You have to understand social media. You have to understand how to leverage Zoom, how to leverage Microsoft Teams, how to leverage Squadcast. What do all of these tools have to do with each other? And what do they have to do with you? And what do you actually need? And where should you actually be? You know, at, prior to COVID, you would see companies throwing content at everything. And it was that wonderful Gary V time where it was like, if you you need to have a TikTok. You need to have a YouTube. You need to have a Vimeo. You need to have a, a, a podcast. And okay, all of this stuff takes time, money, and effort. And it has and to, it be, has good. to be good. And if you're, if you're throwing, 
You know what I mean? Everybody can launch all this stuff, but you have to have something that, that people want to check out. People want and, to and they were do, throwing you know? spaghetti at the wall. And so many people talk to me who want to start a podcast and there's like no plan in place that and and you you almost want to ask them like, is this something you would want to listen to? Because if it's not, then no oh, one my else. Perfect, is my my favorite thing is my uh, I want to start a one hour video uh, YouTube video. A one hour YouTube? Are you Joe Rogan? I don't think so. Chances are nobody wants to listen to you for an hour on YouTube. Um, are you going to slice these off? Are you going to make little five minute vignettes? No, no, no. Just going to. Uh, I want to have a, a YouTube channel where I sit down with somebody no one's ever heard of. And talk for an hour. And I'm like, so tell me, what shows do you watch on YouTube for an hour? Oh, none. So why would somebody watch your YouTube for an hour? There's different platforms for different reasons. And what what got me was a lot of folks had never, they want a, pod, they want a podcast. What podcast do you listen to? I, I don't listen to podcasts. I don't a lot of so how are you going to work that out? Uh, people prior to COVID were just throwing spaghetti at the wall to see what would stick. Now COVID strikes, money's tight, but you still need to advertise. You still need to remind folks that your yoga business has gone virtual, that your uh, you, you, you know your store is open between these hours. How do you advertise on a tight budget? You do so by being strategic about where you put your money and your time and your effort. So instead of you know, uh, trying to do TikTok videos and spending 30 minutes, an hour a day trying to do a TikTok video for an audience that does not give a crap about your product, you can utilize that time and do a 10 to 15 minute video, or you can do a five minute social media thing, or you can set it up your schedule like we're going to do a live here or insert a video here and an interview here. Okay. It became like, what can you do for me? We have to be laser, laser focused and keep our, our shot group tight. Who can help me with that? And that's where our business came into place. We said, we can do that for you. We're affordable. We're fast. And unlike a lot of other companies that were relying on studios, that were relying on a, a place, we can do that. We can help you do everything remote, edit here. And you get your final product. And we teamed up with amazing videographers, amazing video editors, other sound editors, special effects guys. And we all kind of created this, this, uh, it's kind of like a co-op. So what I, I tell people all the time is I never look at other businesses as competition. I don't believe in competition anymore. COVID taught me there's no competition in this world. It is cooperation and it is partnerships. It's teaming up. In fact, there's been a point where I was like, I can't take another project on. Here's a, here's a guy that's my competition. He's really good at what he does. You should go talk to him. And, and that's, that's just the, it's good business practice. And I, I think that that's probably why we survived is because we genuinely love the people that, that are in our space. And they do the same thing we do. And I love them. I will recommend any one of them. Like, hey, if we're, we're not always a good fit for you. Yeah. That's that's cool. That's, that's the right thing to do. So I want to go back to when I uh, brought you on. I said there was something specific that you put out there that I was like, I want to have this guy on. 
you put up a clip of uh, your podcast on Twitter talking about veteran businesses and guys who you were like, people aren't going to want to hear this, but that are up to like shady business practices. And I definitely connected with it. I've definitely known guys in that space who are like that. Um, but I'd actually like you to be kind of specific on what you you mean, because there's always, um, you know, there's criticism of just veterans in general in the public space being, you know, Chris and I always say we hate the term influencers, but, you know, people who are writing books who are out there doing something. And I don't think I personally definitely I mean, you obviously don't either because you're out there in the public. Don't think there's anything wrong with that. I think it's good that we kind of celebrate veterans getting out there, telling their stories or even someone like Chris, who has done uh uh, commercials selling sunglasses and things like that. But I think you're talking about a very specific thing with certain people out there who are kind of bullshitting their way through life and, and getting people on board and making money through some really um, just not. I, I think business. you hit on the money. They're bullshitting. They're bullshitting you. Um, I'm talking about the folks that aren't selling anything. They're selling you their ability to sell things. Uh, I, yeah. I do not believe you should go into business for the sake of being in business. And that's what we see a lot of veterans do. My personal favorite is a consultant. Um, I think this is the most bullshit uh, title you can give yourself unless you actually have something to bring to the table. Um, I don't think that just because you're a former SF guy makes you a great consultant or that you can impart on people the warrior mindset. Um, I, I think that there are a lot of folks out there that are selling snake oil and they are, they're, they're draping themselves with the red, white, and blue. They're convincing you that they're good people because they're veterans and they're not, they're selling you a $40 book. They're selling you a program. They're selling you something, uh, that is literally available for free on YouTube. I think there's a difference between selling services and a consultant should be selling you uh, the ability to feed yourself. A consultant shouldn't be there to like, you You now have to depend on that guy. He's your guru. He's your thing. A consultant should be able to go in there and be like, I'm going to show you how to fish. For, I'm going to show you how to do your own fishing. And if you still need me around, I'll it's to help you with a different problem. But I'm going to show you how to fix this particular issue. I think there are some amazing business consultants, sales consultants, personnel consultants, human resources consultants. But um, I'll tell you what every good consultant does. They tell you what they're going to do for you. They never tell you there's a secret. And only I have this. I, I know the secret to this. And folks, for $50, you can learn the secrets of podcasting. Um, the secret to yeah, and you see so uh, much of that, yeah, and I, you know, and I, 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 I mean, it's not, and it's definitely not just veterans. I meet people all the time that will, you know, I've seen it. Just I'll meet people at the gym, and they're like, "Yeah, my, uh, I don't know if they really use the term guru. I'm trying to think of the better term is uh, my like the person they're apprenticing for, or whatever. They're like, he started a multi million dollar business, and he's going to tell me how to do it." And if it was that easy, why doesn't he just start another multi-million? And why have I never heard of him? Nothing happens that way. Yeah, nothing works that way. And just because you kind of strike gold with something one time doesn't mean you can impart that wisdom and start a whole new business and it's going to have the same success. So what, doesn't work that way. So I had a guy on my show and that will, I won't, I'm not going to name names. 
Okay. Uh, I, I don't. Now I'm on. Now I'm going to try to uh, to piece it together. So this guy wrote. <laughs> I, I interviewed him a couple of years ago, and it was for the after action review. And he seemed like a really interesting guy. Was he was putting put out a lot of videos. Uh, brought him on the show, and he sends me all these articles that were written about him. And I was like, wow, this is really good. And um, I mentioned him like, hey, this person's going to be on the show next week. This is I'm really excited. Started getting some emails from some folks that were like, this guy is a fucking bullshit artist. And here's how. And they they started sending me proof. And what this guy was doing was he was writing his own articles. So here's here's what you can do. I didn't know you could do this. There are folks that work for Forbes, um, Business Insider. They are con- they are contributors, but they don't work for them. They're just contributors, but they have the logos. They have all that stuff, and you can pay them to publish your stuff without with those logos. So I can make an article that says Rod Rodriguez podcast revolutionary podcast uh, aficionado podcast expert, um, killing. The podcast game. I'll write an article about how amazing Rod Rodriguez is, how amazing I am, and how I'm killing the podcast game. And I help thousands of people, and I consult to uh, Fortune 500 companies. None of which is true, except the fact that I am really good at what I do. But I don't. I don't do any of that stuff. <laughs> so I sell that. Yeah. To the, I buy that article, and they write about. So it's I wrote it, but they put their name on it. And it says Business Insider or Forbes. So then I take those links and then I put them on my website as mentioned in Forbes, as mentioned in Business Weekly. But it's all me. It's fraud. It's fraudulent. But the practice is legal. So then they sell themselves as these things. And I'm like, this dude is not in Forbes. This dude is not in Business Insider Weekly. And his book is a self-published nonsense. And everything in that book is nothing more than regurgitated, woo-woo, modern uh, pop psychology. It, we've entered this world where it's like pop psychology meets business. Um, and I love Gary V, but I think Gary V was a, a part of this pop psychology business movement. Oh, for sure. Everybody, Everybody saw, and I love Gary V. I really do. But there are times where I was, I disagreed with Gary V. Um, but anyways, I, I'm, I'm dealing with this guy and... I never publishes his video. I, I'm sorry. I never publishes our interview. And he, he hits me up like, Hey man, what's going on? I was like, because I, I, I don't agree with what you're doing. I don't think that what you're doing is, it's not illegal. And that was, that's my personal favorite thing. When you talk to folks and you question them on their uh, operations, if they, the first thing they say is, well, it's legal. That should be an indicator to you. Um, sure. I, I like folks. And there's a lot of guys like that who operated like uh, sort of under the law, sort of, you know, I, I don't know if you remember the, that guy, Kevin yeah. Trudeau, he was one of them. He was one of those guys. Um, and there are dudes out there that are selling insurance pyramid schemes. Um, my personal favorite thing is if somebody's trying to convince you to sell, a, if they're trying to convince you to sell a position with their company and not a service or a product. You're in a pyramid scheme. It's that simple. Uh, folks are not selling things. They're not selling. Here, here's a pin, and I'm going to sell this to you for 50 cents, and here's my website. You can buy my pin. That's a business. I'm going to show you how to sell 
50 cent pins, that's a pyramid scheme. There's a difference, folks. And a lot of people get wrapped up in that because they think that what they're buying is freedom. They think they're buying entrepreneurship, and that's not. It's a scam. And there's a lot of folks that a lot of uh, – I, I, I was at a meeting, and again, uh, uh, here in D.C., I'm out there with a friend of mine. We got invited to a, a really ritzy after party after this event, and you know, I'm like, These are, there's a lot of veteran influencers there. These are my heroes. These are the people that I looked up to. And this guy and I were talking. And he goes, so um, do you have a Shopify? Mm, no, I'm a podcast guy. He goes, oh, dude, I can show, I can tell you right now. Like, let me tell you what I did. And he t- takes me through this operation that basically he sets up these Shopify accounts, sells other people's stuff, uh, never delivers it, gets the money, shuts it down. Wash, rinse, repeats. And he's openly he's telling you this? not just openly telling me this. He's telling me how to do it. He thinks I'm crazy because I'm not doing that. He's like, dude, last year uh, we netted in like uh, it was $5,000 a month. I'm like, but you're not delivering any of this stuff. He's like, of course not. Hey, listen, man, it's not on me if it gets delivered or not. Look, I just made the account. I'm selling their stuff. It goes to them. I get my fee. If that dude doesn't, you know, deliver the stuff, that's on them, not me. It's completely legal. How how is that legal? I don't know. That's but he that was his, that was yeah, his yeah, big thing. That was his big pitch. It's completely legal, dude. Here's my card. Let me know if you want me to send my people. Uh, if you want to, uh, I'll set you up with my people. And it's like $10,000 to start, but you'll get your money back in like a month. And I'm like, okay, that was weird. Um, I listen. It's so weird to me, man, because I think when people hear, this is why, especially with the younger generation, I think there's this um, anti-capitalism mentality. And this is like what they associate capitalism with, unfortunately, not someone who is starting a legitimate business that they love and want to help people and want to contribute positively. I, to I say, uh, if you want to, if you want to be a business owner, if this is really what you want to do, ask yourself what you're selling. And if you're selling yourself or your expertise or your whatever, what else? What else are you selling? Who else is selling that? Um, what sets you apart from everyone else? Um, I, I it's hard to say. I am not the arbitrator or the end all be all to what is a legit business. I'm a young business owner myself. Um, but I will say that the successful businesses, the good businesses, the ones that I've seen flourish and the ones I want to do business with are from folks that legitimately want to change their industry. There's an amazing guy right now. Oh man, I can't remember the name of the business. This dude, <laughs> this dude, is changing the way folks do laundry. Tumble. That's the name of the business. Tumble. I okay. watched this guy's business pitch. He was part of a pitch competition. He pitched it. I, I'm a podcast guy. I wanted to invest in this guy's company. I felt like, how can I help? Because this dude is like, listen, laundry in uh, apartment complexes costs this. It costs that. 
It's associate. He starts listing all the problems. And I'm like, I used to do laundry in a shared laundry facility and it was expensive. And I never knew when my laundry, I had laundry stolen from me. He is approaching that business, that problem with the business that's going to solve that problem. And he broke it down like this, is how much it's going to cost. And this is how it's going to work. And this is what we're going to, that was amazing. I was like, this motherfucker is on it because he saw a problem. Your business is going to solve it. I saw a problem. Young, uh, uh, small businesses don't have access to podcast production. They don't have access to quality audio, quality video production. Big businesses can afford to hire an entire room full of editors and videographers and sound guys. Great. But what about smaller businesses? What about people who just need the boost? That's where I come into play. I saw a problem. I applied a, a business uh, structure to it and said, okay, this is what I want to do. And I love doing it. And I tell people all the time, the biggest part of my job, honest to God, and th- take me to take me to the bank on this one. The biggest part of my job is talking myself out of money. That's a lot of what I do. Because I'll get somebody to come to me like, Rod, we want 30 episodes. We want to do a daily podcast and it's going to be great. And I have this budget. We're going to throw $2.5 million for this year. We're going we're gonna to do it on this. We're going to be like, stop. Do you know how hard it is to do a daily podcast? Do you have the people to do it? Do you know what you want to talk about? And I've literally told people, stop what you're doing. We're not going to do this. You can take your money and go buy it somewhere else. We're not going to do your daily podcast. What I'd like you to do is show me 10 episodes, one one season, 10 episodes, bi-weekly. What do you want your 10 episodes to be about? What do you want the public to know? Let's keep it under 30 minutes. And when you do that, they're like, oh my God. Yeah, this is a lot harder than, and I can do this daily. I don't have the people for this. We don't have the vision for this. Yeah, let's let's take our time. Let's Let's slow roll into this. And figure out if this is even what you want to do. Because a podcast is not a one-size-fits-all. You may want to do an interview show like us. You may want to do a highly produced podcast like uh, Radiolab with multiple sounds and and soundscapes and different voices and different stories every two weeks. You may want to do a five-minute podcast. You may want to do a a YouTube-style podcast. podcast was like three to five minutes, but it hits that thing. There's a lot of ways to do this. Don't, this is not a thing where you just throw money at it and it's going to make something great. This is something where you take your time, invest your money. It's an investment and learn from your mistakes. And if you don't like it, just do the next thing. (laughs) But that's, that's the key. If you're solving a problem, you might be in business. If you're in business specifically to make money, you're going to go, you're, you'll fall down the scam route. I promise you the scam route is really super appealing. And, um, yeah, I've been offered a lot of money to kind of be scammy and, uh, it's hard to say no to money sometimes. I mean, especially when your business is going under or you do need the money. Uh, the important thing is to remember, uh, if you, if you, if you can stay true to yourself and stay away from the scams, the long-term benefit is people will trust you. People will come to you with their problems and you'll grow. It's just slow. 
And and I think you'll also, you know, in a spiritual level, feel a hell of a lot better about yourself. Uh, you know, Chris, I could really say, is one of the most, you know, genuine people I know and truly has integrity. And it is funny to me because I have had people, like I said, with the sunglass commercial, everybody knows Chris Peranto from the sunglass commercial. There was one guy I booked and he goes, oh, Chris Peranto, is that the guy from the sunglass commercial? And he didn't even ask it in a positive way. And the thing I had to throw out there, and it's absolutely true, Chris is like, if anybody criticizes me for that commercial, he's like, for one, I thought it was a cool thing to do, so I did it. But beyond that, he goes, look at any picture of me on the range. I am wearing those sunglasses. He goes, is there anything that special about them? Not really. They're like a Walmart pair of sunglasses. But the fact is, he's like, I don't want to bring an expensive pair of Oakleys every time that I teach a course because I just don't want to lose them. These are these are good. They get the job done, and I feel fine selling them. And you know, so it's just funny. Sometimes like guys get criticized for writing books that they feel good about or selling a product they actually feel good about. The sponsors we have on the show, we know and love what they do. And then some of these people that you're mentioning, um, you know, they might be looked at as as these good people, but then behind the scenes, it's just making money, making money. And I can tell you, Chris, and, and hopefully me, I, I think he would say the same, have never been about that. We just want to put out something that people are going to enjoy, interview people that we think the audience is going to get something out of. And the focus is always on like the goal, what the, the like the goal, the message more so than like how to my personal it. favorite is you'll see people or hear them on podcasts like Ian. Hey buddy, it's great to talk to you, man. Oh, Hey, if you ever need anything from me, you know where to find me. And then you meet them in person. And you're like, Hey Rod. They're like, yeah, uh, whatever, man. Like, Oh wow. Or you'll see them in real life and they're yelling at their wife. I true story. I saw this dude berate his wife in public. And this guy was always talking about, you know, leadership, uh, lead from the front, you know, set the example. And he's talking to his wife like it was bad. It was like I was thinking, like, if he puts his hand up, I'm going to whoop this dude's ass. <laughs> like, like, it was that bad. Wow. And yeah. I'm like, this dude, this dude is one person in front of the camera and in front of the mic. And you're a complete shitbag. This is the part that people need to see. Now, I'm not saying I'm perfect. I'm not saying that I live a life that will stand every amount of scrutiny, but there's no decision. Uh, no, 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 but I'll tell that. you, there's no decision I've made that I'm not going to look back and go either. Yeah, I was wrong or no, no, that, I, I, I'll stand by that 100%. Be genuine. Be true to yourself and your business will reflect that. The last thing I will say on, on that is um, – when it comes to advertising, when it comes to self-promotion, there's nothing wrong with promoting yourself, man. If you want to wear sunglasses, if you get a promotion, if you get a, uh, if, you know, if somebody says, hey, man, uh, will you wear my sunglasses on this commercial? We'll pay you this amount um, sponsored. Take it. If it's a product you support. Chris, Chris said, hey, exactly. I love this product. I'm going to support them. I'm using a Rode Procaster right now. And I saw you were using the NT-USB as well. Yeah, that's right. the Rode. Yeah. I great. wrote to Rode. They didn't have to I wrote me to, to say it. I wish they would. They would so here's what happened. I wrote yeah. to Rode about two years ago. And they're an Australian company. And I said, hey, listen, um, I really, I like Shure. Shure microphones are great. Uh, it's the microphone of choice for um, Joe Rogan. Uh, but they're extremely expensive twice the price of a road procaster 
So I wrote to Road. I said, listen, I'm a young, uh, not young, but our business is young and I want to, you know, is there a deal that I can cut with you guys where I could be, be maybe be a distributor or I can resell, I can sell your product. I'm not saying sponsor my show because I'm not asking for free money. I just want to know if I can get like a 10% off discount for buying your equipment if I mention you on the show or if I just use your stuff or what, what can we, what kind of deal can we cut? And I was very explicit. I'm not asking for anything for free, man. I just want a discount and I'm willing to work for it. This guy emails me back. He says, well, what are you trying to do? I said, well, I'm trying to start a business. I'm trying to like trying to launch my business and I want to be able to offer some microphones. I want to be able to offer, uh, you know, tutorials and show people how to do this stuff. And I really like this microphone. I bought one. I was like, I'm a big fan of it, but I don't have the NTUSB because they don't sell it only on, they only sold it on Amazon for a while and they were hard to find because they were always selling out. Yeah. After COVID, uh, people just got Two all podcast equipment. I'm having this conversation back and forth in emails. They sent me a box. I They sent me a box with five Procasters, five into wow. USBs, and a whole bunch of mi- mini microphones. And the guy said, uh, I'm sending this to you not just because you're a veteran. I love the American Armed Forces. You guys do good work. I'm sending this to you because I want to help another small business grow. That was road. And to this day, I will not use another uh, uh, microphone. Not because they're paying me. Look, I never received anything else after that. Two years ago, I think, you know, even if the value, if you took the value of everything in that box and said, what, how much advertising would this be worth? I think we far exceeded that time frame. I will not use another microphone unless, unless it's road simply because you did right by me. You did right by me, yeah. man. And to me, loyalty means something. Values mean something. Sure is a great brand, but I'm just going to stick with my roads. Um, and, and I'm not saying that to convince your audience to go buy roads. Uh, I'm saying that because, you know, <laughs> yeah. find a com- find the businesses that matter to you and build relationships with them. And it doesn't always reciprocate. Look, I've got a mug here from uh, who are these guys? Uh, Zero Foxtrot. Great mug. I love their mugs. Don't like some of their shirts. I think some of their shirts go a little over the edge when it comes to the bro stuff, the bro vet stuff. Um, but I've written to them numerous times like, hey, I would, I love your mugs. Let's start a relationship. Let me, I don't know, I'll 10% off your audience and give me, uh, I'll take a mug. Literally, I will work for you guys if you send me one free mug a month because that's how much I love your product. Never heard back from them. Okay. That doesn't mean they're bad people. Just means they're not interested in doing business with me. That's cool. But I'm going to go talk to the folks that I use their products. I like what they do. Those are the ones I'll take their their sponsorships from. But it doesn't make you a sellout. It just makes you a business person. That's business. But but what you won't see me do is tell people uh, go to rodrodriguez.com and I'm going to sh- I'm, I'm going to give you the top 5 secrets to uh, running a successful podcast because here's the Exactly. Yeah. Because I get asked all the time. And and the big thing for a lot of people is just starting is just getting an idea off the ground. People are so uh, apprehensive to just start something, come up with an idea 
and do it. There's people I've met who've been talking about starting a podcast for two years, you know, and it just never happens. And and do you get those emails from people that are like, uh, great (laughs) podcast secrets, fifty dollars, million listeners? Oh yeah, I get I get so much that. So you know what's interesting that I got recently? I don't know if this has ever happened to you. And this is like I don't know if it's a pyramid. I don't know what the hell it is. There was a guy we had on the show. Um, who like every week he sends me, you got to have this guy on, you got to have this guy on, you got to, and you know, and they're definitely involved in, there's definitely something behind the scenes of like, I'll get you on this podcast. And, and I have a list of like, honestly, hundreds of people I want to get on the show. I I'm, we can't get everybody that I want to get on. And Chris wants to get on. And everyone that we have on the show is genuinely because either Chris or I are like, I find this guy interesting. I want to have him on. I don't care if, you know, it's, Yet another guy who consults businesses, as you're saying, these are not that interesting of guests most of the time. You know, everybody asks me the same thing. What does it take to be a successful podcaster? And I will tell you, it it's a matter of perspective. Successful against who? If you looked at your success and my success versus mm, Joe Rogan, you and I suck at everything that we do. <laughs> the, the, the difference between our numbers versus Joe Rogan's numbers, it, it, it's impossible. You cannot compare yourself to Joe Rogan. Uh, I, I tell folks, if you want to be successful in anything, it's not, there's no $50 manual. There's no secret course to go take. Dude, be creative, be consistent, and do it. That's it. That is it. You want a successful podcast? Be creative about your podcast idea. Don't do the same crap everyone else is doing. And if you do, add a new spin to it. Do something different. Be consistent. Do it. And do it for like 10 episodes. Every two weeks. Say, every Thursday I'm releasing a new episode. That's my thing. Every Thursday. That's what I do. And do that for 10 episodes. See if you like it. And just do the goddamn thing. You don't need a real procaster. You don't need an NT-USB. You don't need a, a super fast mic. If you want to record from headphones onto your phone, do that figure it out slowly but here's the thing that you got to remember whatever you make is gonna suck i promise it's gonna suck folks <laughs> nobody jumps in a podcast in like episode one ten thousand listeners unless you already have a following unless you're a comedian or yeah. an actor or you're well known already you're not going to get ten thousand followers for your first episode your second or your tenth or even your hundredth but sure, you know what, if I could just jump in here, you know what I do think is that you will you will get the feeling immediately of like I really yes. enjoy this, or you'll get the feeling of this isn't for me. Like the, when I first started at eighty eight point seven FM WRHU at Hofstra University fifteen years ago, which is crazy, fifteen years ago this month, I there was definitely a feeling inside of me of like this is for me. I I enjoy it, and I I I'll be honest, I don't think I sucked at it. I think I've grown, but I, you know, I think if you were to listen to my first show, there's people that I've listened to, um, especially when I worked on Andrew Wilkow's show, for example, who would sub in for him. I heard, I'll give you an example. I'll give you a great example that's just coming right now. I heard Buck Sexton the first time he ever did a radio show. The first time Buck Sexton ever did a full three hour show was subbing in for Andrew. And was it, was it amazing? No, but I said, he's got it. He's got something there. And there's other people that I saw subbing for Andrew where I just will. I said, they, but this isn't for them. Ask him. And you could always grow and get better, but you have to have that passion. Just like 
Someone takes a course with Chris to do a uh, battle line tactical. It could be their first time shooting a gun and they could go, I really enjoy this. This is for me. I could see myself but getting ask it. Buck to listen to his first episode. Ask him what he thinks. Yeah, he'll he'll either tell you it sucked or he's got he's gonna tell better. You. you know, like I said, I don't yeah. I'm being genuine. I don't think I would ever tell you my first show sucked, but I got way, way, way better as I went on. I'll say my familiar. Yeah. But I do think you you either have a natural ability to do this or you really don't. There's something that you, you have to start with for everything where it's just you're you're going to gradually get better with time. But there are people I hear and I could automatically say this is not for them or this I, is I'll for them. I'll say that uh, I thought I sucked. I was, uh, you know, I, the first okay. time I got behind a microphone, I thought I sucked. A lot of people said, oh, dude, you sound good, man. This is your water, brother. You are fit. You're a fish in water, man. This is your medium. I feel looking back on it oh man that was terrible like a lot of mistakes uh i shouldn't have done that i shouldn't have said it like that i could do better editing blah 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 i think that we will always be our harshest critics now if you felt like you know you did improve it's great but i think you're looking at it from this i think you're a really positive person too um you're probably looking at through the framework of i was here and now i'm here you know i i've definitely improved uh, from where I was before, but from where you started to where you are now, drastic improvements. Oh, for sure. You know what it is? I could tell you now that we're talking about this, that I think may have made the difference for me is that when I, people who start podcasting now, they're starting from square mm-hmm. one and they're getting on a mic. So the first time I ever hosted a radio show, like I said, I was at Hofstra University. I went through the course and it was a really tough course. They make sure you really know your stuff before you get on that microphone and host your first show. So it's about probably a good, well, it's a whole semester plus of really learning all this, passing a physical test, you know, of, of moving equipment and all that stuff, you know, the, you know, the board learning all that. And then a test of what you do on air with a, with a traditional terrestrial station. It's like, you have to say the 88.7 FM WRHU Hofstra university, which I could still do today, you know? So I wasn't starting as much from square one as someone who just hops on a mic and has no background at all. And that, and that could be the difference. Yeah. Or Buck Sexton. Buck Sexton was regularly doing the blaze. He was doing TV, but there's a difference between being a regular on a TV show and hosting a podcast I, or I a radio my show. first microphone off of Craigslist from a crackhead. Not even, <laughs> it's not even an exaggeration. Um, I bought a Yeti. Uh, blue yeti and i hate uh, that microphone by the I'm way i'm not a I've fan but it was not my first microphone i didn't know any better i just looked up i googled like yeah. microphones and it was like blue yeti i'm like oh that's a hundred bucks that's a good investment i could do that hooked it up and I, I i go buy from this guy who's scratching his neck and he's like yo man and i'm like is this microphone work he's like yeah yeah it works bro it's good it's good man i said why are you selling it he goes man turns out i rap like garbage you know what i'm saying a hundred bucks. <laughs> I bought it for $65 and uh, I bought it for $65 and I bought him a meal at the McDonald's that we met at. And he enjoyed wow. his meal and he was like very gracious and thankful. And uh, he's like, Hey man, if you ever need anything else, let me know and I'll, I'll find it for you. I'm like, I am not sending you on a scavenger hunt to steal stuff for me. <laughs> um, Colleen is, <laughs> is bad enough. Um, but that was my first experience. I recorded my first podcast at my dinner table in a echoey kitchen because i didn't know any better and it was terrible and it sucked 
And then I met people like you who have all this experience. They're like, Rod, what are you doing? Let, let me show you about how to do this. Let me show you. If you're going to have the microphone this close to your mouth, the uh, gain setting needs to be a little different. You also might want to get a windscreen. You also might want to make sure that you got a an interface. And you might want to not use a USB unless you're going to do this because you're going to do that. Okay. You will go through the school of hard knocks. You will learn as you go along, but you cannot expect to be a, you're not going to hit a home run the first time out. You're not going to be a successful, quote unquote, successful podcaster because there's no such thing as a defined successful podcaster. Uh, We can look at Joe Rogan and say he's successful, but compared to what? Movies? Is he, is Joe Rogan as successful as Larry King? Is he Joe Rogan? I, well, you, I'm sure you heard about the, uh, the Spotify hundred million dollars. I, I think that's a success that's, financially. That's a financial success. Means. But is he successful yeah, yeah. to himself? Does Joe Rogan look at his show and go, I have the best show on the planet. It can never get any better. This is the epitome of all podcasts. I don't think he does. I think Joe Rogan probably looks at his stuff and goes, I'm good at what I do. At, at this medium, I'm really good at the long form format. Um, I, I I think that it's just a matter of accepting and, and there, there's a certain expectation management everybody has to take when you're going into social, when you're doing media in general. If I start a YouTube channel, will I be as successful as PewDiePie? Probably not. Why? Because the guy does something completely different from anything I would ever do. If I have a business show, with only veterans, will I be as successful as, uh, you know, uh, other like business shows where they're interviewing Jeff Bezos and, uh, you know, uh, Zuckerberg and Warren Buffett? Buffett? Probably not because I'm niche. Most podcasts are niche shows. And that's the great thing about yeah. podcasts, too, is that you can be as niche as you want to be. I've always said that the best example I ever saw of that was, I don't know if you came across this by any chance. This was a couple of years ago. There was a podcast called Britney's Gram. It was a podcast about Britney Spears' Instagram. And when all this stuff came out about her, uh, cons- what is it called? Yep. Cons- conservatorship? Yep. With what, am I saying the word right? Yeah. So there was a whole bunch of news that it broke and they got an exclusive interview with someone in Britney's inner circle, like a lawyer. And it was picked up by like Entertainment Weekly and, you know, uh, EW and, and all these different, uh, you know, enter- oh, I said Entertainment Weekly, I'm losing my mind here. Um, but, but you know what I mean? All these different like-minded websites with TMZ. And I went to their SoundCloud. And I think the episode went up two days prior and I go, holy shit, a hundred thousand plays. And you and I know that's, that's like really unheard good, yeah. of and in other, any other medium that doesn't happen. So that's the really cool thing about what we do is that you can be as niche as you, you want to be, be as niche as you want to be. You can say whatever you want to say. There's no FCC that's going to regulate you. You can do some crazy stuff. That's up to you. Um, but it's a matter of what's successful to you is success having fun talking to the people that you care about talking about, then that's, then congratulations, you are successful. If your success is based on, you know what? Uh, I want to be, I want to be able to make a couple hundred dollars off of each show, or I want to be able to make some money off of this. Great. If you're making that money that you want to make, that's your level. of. The, however you define success is up to you. 
try not to define your level of success of how many people listen to you. Because it's kind of like when you look at yourself in the mirror, am I fat? Do I look good? Your spouse may look at you like, honey, you look great. But you're always going to look at yourself and go, oh, dude, I don't look good. I I could use I, – I could probably lose 10 pounds or I don't like this. I don't like that about myself. You're always going to look at your product and go, I don't like something about it. Find good levels of success. And I find the biggest level of success success for us uh, at Military Matters, at Connecting Vets, as Clear Combo Studios, as Rod Rodriguez, our level of success is did I tell a good story? Did I tell the story the best that I could? And 99.9% there's been a couple episodes like I could have done better. But most of the time I look at it and I'm like, you know what? That was a hella cool story. I don't, I, I feel, when we covered Vanessa Guillen's story, when her family said, thank you, that was, that was it. I, I felt I was successful. I successfully exposed a story that needed to be exposed. We made a difference. Abby Bennett is one of the connecting vets reporters. She wrote an article about the VA um destroying uh was they were uh, they were going to destroy a certain number of covid vaccines and because of her article right there and then a shift she made a difference if you're making a difference in yourself in your community in your niche audience when i've had uh veteran entrepreneurs come to me and go hey man i listened to your show and that made a lot of sense and that kept me from making this mistake Mission accomplished. That's what I wanted. That that's success to exactly. me. Exactly. So success is 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 expectation management, man. That's well said, man. So w- with that, I should ask you, what do you have next in store for Military Matters? You and Jack, any uh, specific topics you're looking to cover in the next so few months? Jack, first of all, Jack Murphy is a. Uh, in case your audience doesn't know, reti- uh, he is a former uh, Ranger, former Special Forces guy, yep. all around American badass. Um. And this not only true. that, Jack is – Jack's one of those people that annoys me. I'll be honest. With you. He annoys <laughs> the shit out of me. And, and I love him to death. Well, you know I've, no, I've known the guy over uh, a decade. I don't know how you can deal with it because he has all this success. He has all – you know, he's written a book. He's former SF guy and ranger. Super nice guy on top of – that's what annoys me is that he's all these things and he's not an asshole. And he's educated. And he knows how to do right, and he has a good. He he does a lot of good things, and I'm like, well, son of a bitch, man. Could you leave something out there for the rest of us? Like it it sucks. Uh, <laughs> I love Jack Murphy. I think he's a Cornell guy, isn't he? Uh, no, uh, um, no, Columbia. Uh, Columbia. So yeah, he's a Columbia grad, and yeah, uh, Ivy League's. Co- so yeah, he's he's a smart guy on top of it, and a really nice person. Um, but he's now on Military Matters. And he's going to be my co-host and co-producer. And we are tackling a whole bunch of stories that are, we're, we're trying to expanding the net for him. That is, I should say, he's expanding his net a lot more. Uh, he used to, he does a lot of special operations stories and tell stories, but at connect at military matters, he's going to be expanding that net a little bit. We're looking at doing stories about everything from Marine mammal programs, murders at Fort Bragg, um, We'll be following up on our UAP story, which, by the way, last year we had an opportunity to sit down. We, wow, boy, 
we talked about the UAP program that the government was going to run um, about a week after they actually made the public release. We actually we sat and talked with uh, Luis Elizondo um, and Chris Mellon, who is the former Secretary of Defense Intelligence Program. Uh, we've been talking about UFOs. We've been talking about aliens. We've been talking about disclosure. And just recently, the president said every branch, every intelligence agency, agency has 180 days to disclose something. Something's coming down the pipeline. I have it on good authority that this is going to be a phased approach and that this first phase is going to leave some jaws dropped. Um, I think it's. Wow. I think there's a lot that's going to be happening in the next couple of months. 2021, I've been told – on good authority by people who are still in government and positions of authority, uh, quote, buckle up. Uh, wow. Yeah. Rod, if you want to even if you want to interview a guy who has a great UFO story that we had on the podcast not too long ago, Scott Guerin, Air Force PJ, uh, encountered a UFO, took photos, published a book on it. Great well, guy. Think, so oh, he might be a guy you'd want to get in to touch him. with. I think the big thing here is that the government acknowledges there are things flying around. They don't know what they are and that they are moving around government airspace, military and civilian with impunity, and they don't know what they are. So I, I, I the fact that the government admitted this in 2020 says a lot about what's going to be coming in 2021. So we're talking about that. So we're, we've got a lot of different shows. And But here's the thing about what I want people to walk away from knowing about military matters. The show is about Everything that affects the DOD, not just the DOD. There are a lot of things that affect us as service members and as veterans. Uh, today, I just got off uh, an interview with um, John Freerick. I hope I said his name correctly. Um, but he is one of the authors of the 25th Amendment. Uh, ratified in 67, uh, he's one of the guys that helped write the damn thing. So we talked about why does this matter to the military? Why does this why what does the 25th Amendment, the controversy with President Trump and Vice President Pence, what does this have to do with military service members? Are we getting political? Maybe. But the fact of the matter is, whoever sits in that hot seat, whoever the president of the United States is, regardless of your political affiliations, regardless of what you may like or dislike about him, whoever that guy is or gal. That is your commander in chief. You might want to know why that one person has that ability. Why do, why does the president have? So we created the, you know, we, 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 we have the, the triumvirate of legislation specifically so we don't have a king. We live in a republic. Uh, so if we broke up the central authorities so that there's checks and balances, why did we give one guy? Control over the military, the military. Think about that. that's crazy. When you think about like, well, what is control? What is absolute dominion? Well, I don't know. Maybe that one guy who has control of all the guns, all the soldiers, all the bombs. You might want to know what it takes to get that guy out of power, what he can do in power, and maybe why he is in power. So we're going to be talking about. The, pre the the office of the president and 
this has a lot to do with you know bringing a full circle the capital the capital building um we talked about QAnon. we've uh, i know jack murphy covered it we covered it as well and uh, yeah jack did a great fact, article his about article it. was the inspiration for the story that we did on QAnon. and we spoke with other uh we spoke with QAnon uh observers and QAnon writers about what this means to the military, about what this means to uh, the Department of Defense. And I will tell you, the scary thing, the scary thing to me is how quiet everyone's been about it. Um, I was recently asked for another uh, another program, which I can't really talk about because I, I don't know how far along they are in, in releasing their episode. But I was asked, as a uniformed service member, has anybody asked you to talk to the troops about QAnon? No, I haven't received one email that said, hey, you should definitely talk to your troops about QAnon and, you know, maybe prevent some radicalization, maybe prevent talk about not really. We talk about radical groups. We talk about splinter groups. We talk about, um, you know, hate groups, political, politically motivated groups and politically motivated extremism is a hot topic that I don't think the DOD knows quite how they're going to approach. Um, I've asked for interviews from attorneys about this. Like, hey, if you're a service member and you got caught up in that rally, what can you expect? What if you're a veteran? Can your veteran benefits be revoked? And every attorney that I've asked this question to has said, I cannot speak to you until after the inauguration. There is a legitimate fear right now in the air about disturbing this, disturbing the waters of this administration. They just, everyone is afraid. They don't want to say anything because they don't know where, what, what's going to whip at them. Is it going to be a, is it going to be a slap in the wrist? Is it going to be an, uh, uh, an angry look or is it a full tsunami that hits your law firm? Uh, it, it, it's a very disturbing time to me that folks don't feel like they are protected to say what is on their mind. Uh, and we also covered uh, the other issue. And I think the one that I think you, you can definitely um, uh, relate to, and that is the world of social media. Last year, um, we talked about MeWe and Parler. We talked about Section 230. What do those things mean to the DOD? Well, that means everything because all of us, veterans and service members alike, we are all on Facebook. We are all on Twitter. Facebook Messenger is probably the number one way at this point in the game, service members talk to their families when they're deployed. They go to the MWR building. They set up the computers. They jump on Facebook and they can messenger. They can talk to each other. Well, what does this mean if your Facebook or your Twitter is compromised by uh, being shut down, by shadow banning? What happens if your show approaches a topic that uh, Twitter doesn't like? Well, can they what, can they legitimately shut you down? Uh, Parler just got shut down. We asked to talk to Parler before the shutdown. We talked. We were trying to talk with them immediately after the election. Well, just just before the elections went down um we wanted to talk with them because people were leaving twitter to go to parlor 
Now they're gone. And they've been deplatformed. Mm-hmm. They're completely shut down. And it turns out they were using like a trial version of of uh, of a uh, internet uh, of a, a web builder. Like the whole operation was foobar from the beginning. But I did talk to the CEO of MeWe, and that guy's opinions on Section Two Thirty are interesting. People need to understand what Section Two Thirty means to their freedom of speech, to their ability to jump onto Facebook. There, the this is not just about what affects the DOD. This talk. This is about what affects the service members. What affects what affects the ideals of the Constitution that we have been sworn to uphold and defend. And I want to reiterate the Constitution, not the office of the presidency, not the vice president, not your congressional leader. We are sworn to uphold the Constitution. And there's a difference. There's a big difference. And I hope people understand that. But uh, we are very excited. We also host, I also host another show called The Back Brief on ConnectingVets.com. Uh, folks, if you're a veteran, if you're a service member, there is stuff happening out there that relates to you, your rights, your uh, medical benefits, your VA benefits, COVID. That is – dude, don't let some of this stuff happening on the Capitol uh, overshadow the things that are important like what's happening at the VA. Uh, these things directly affect all of our lives. So uh, that's what we cover at the back brief. We try and help you understand some of the stories that you might've missed during the week because the world is insane. <laughs> it is. It is. So check out uh, all of Rod's podcast. And of course, check out military matters and uh, connecting vets.com where you'll see articles from Jack, from you uh, at Rod pod Rod on Twitter Anything else, man, before we wrapped up? We we went all over the place here, and I liked it. This, this is kind of what uh, we do here. Yeah. I, one, one last thing. Um, I will implore everybody listening, um, be kind to each other. That is the number one thing I want people to do. Be kind. I don't care what your political affiliation. Look, man, if you're knee-deep in QAnon, cool. If you're knee-deep in BLM, Cool. If you're knee deep in the GOP and the Democratic Party and the Green Party and the Communist Party and the Socialist Party. Cool. Just be good to each other. Be kind. Be generous with your kindness. Be generous with your understanding. Not everybody has to jump on board your particular train, but that doesn't give us a right to run over those same folks who aren't on board um, give each other some room, give each other some, some time to breathe. And just remember there's something we can all agree that we all hate. And that is episode one of star Wars. We all hate it. Nobody <laughs> loves it. Just remember that we're all on that train at least. Thank you. That's all for this episode of the Battleline Podcast. But we'll be back on Monday with more American Straight Talk. Until then, be sure to follow us on Instagram at Battleline Podcast and on Twitter at Battleline Pod. To sign up for future Battleline tactical courses, go to www.christantoperanto.net. Believe in yourself. 
face all challenges head on, and as always, never quit. <laughs> <laughs>